This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. And you're listening to That's the Ticket with Hannah Mooney. It's the uh, 70th episode of That's the Ticket today. And it's actually my first time back in the Free FM studio for like the first time in over a month. And uh, don't get me wrong, it's been an awesome journey uh, upping my skills with that pre-record life and doing all sorts of fun remote things. But I must say it's um, bloody brilliant to be back at the desk. Um, And now to the celebrations. Um, We're not just celebrating my return uh, to the studio and the 17th episode of That's the Ticket, but um, I've got a rather special guest today, uh, the man who kind of started it all for my uh, radio and podcasting (laughs) career, Uh, Mike Williams is cackling in the background. Yes. (laughs) Kia ora, Mike. (laughs) Kia ora. Um, thanks for uh, joining me. Well, my pleasure. I don't know that I can rise to the occasion to be a special guest, but it's a pleasure to be a guest again. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have a guest. I mean, not that I haven't had guests, but it's just it's it's a great vibe being in the same room. Yeah, as you. I mean, we were both driving around there with the uh, <laughs> intro theme and everything. So yeah, it's a, it's a. Uh, it's kind of like performing in front of an audience, you know? It's very different than doing it online. Yeah, and I feel like I perform well over Zoom. All my guests for the past month or so can um, totally vouch for that. But I do like doing it live. Um, I kind of wish that I'd prepared um, some solid jokes for this, <laughs> but I'm just like, just roll with it. Mike will say something that you can turn so, into a joke, I'm are, sure. Are we going to be winging it? Right through till six o'clock. Uh, yeah, winging Make it. Make it up as we go. W- would we say winging it? I feel like we're just going to be smooth sailing right <laughs> up until six. Easy listening with that's the ticket. But um, no, to the arts at hand because that's what we're all about. With that's the ticket. Talking about um, cool creative happenings in Kirikiriroa and beyond. Today we're pretty um, Hamilton focused though. I think because you've got a few things coming up. Oh, yeah. Well, a couple. A, a couple are here and one in Tauranga. After I finish here tonight, I'm, I'm off to a rehearsal in Tauranga. Okay, I'm going to start with what, what do you got in Tauranga? I am performing in uh, 12 Angry Men for 16th Avenue Theatre and it's our first blocking rehearsal tonight. So we uh, really just sort of feeling our way. We've had one read through, mm. um, but then we got the news yesterday that Assassins is going to be definitely hitting the boards at the Meteor from the 10th to the 18th of December. Hurrah! Book now through the Meteor <laughs> website. Um, so that's really going to put a 
bit of pressure on for time for me to be able to fit rehearsals in for Assassins and then still do justice to 12 Angry Men, which is not on stage till January, so you know I've got a bit of wiggle room there and I'll be talking sweetly to the director tonight to give me a, a few absences to, uh, to contend with. I see. It makes sense that uh, 12 Angry Men's on in January because I'm like, I see Mike, well, pre-lockdown, like, I see Mike every week. And you you hadn't mentioned it, and I was like, gasp. That was only uh, uh, what about two and a half weeks ago that we went through auditions and and uh, had the cast confirmed actually. So yeah, um, at that stage I wasn't sure what mm. the odds were for Assassins, but I thought well even if Assassins goes ahead, which now thankfully it is, um, I could probably still manage it. And when I went into the audition for Twelve Angry Men, I said, look, this is what I'm already committed to. I'm also going to be travelling from Murrinsville, my hometown, to come to rehearsals. But in Tauranga, they're used to that now. I've done two productions over there, and they're, they're quite happy to see me spend a lot of money on petrol and tyres um, to go to and fro. They're quite happy to, to make me do all that uh, in order to pay my dues. So, um, I mean, said, you must, said, yeah, you must be can. worth the wait, Mike. <laughs> we would like to think so. Um, but they said, uh, you know... Obviously, to do the play would be a good thing, so um, they wanted to confirm me for the role, so I said, yeah. So that ha- that's how all that sort of came about, and it was relatively quick. Yeah, it sounds like it. And may I ask which uh, juror you're playing? I'm going to be the foreman. Oh, really? Yeah, juror number one. But okay. um, the take that I've got for the role is a little bit different from versions that I've seen other people do. Um, because I, I read something into that role which um, which I've identified with and the director agrees with me that there's a certain way that I could do it that I hope is going to be not necessarily unique to me but a way that makes sense to me that'll be a bit different from what you may have seen if you've seen the play before. Yeah, I've only seen it once, uh, Gaslight. Actually, yeah. your co-host for Backstage, yes. uh, Mal Martin, was in it. And so my next question was going to be, is it just 12 Angry Men in the production it you're is, in? It is. Okay, We're so no males. mixed cast. No. Okay. And it's, um, it is, I think, pretty true to the original sort of 1950s style and timing of the story. It's a, it's a classic piece of theatre and it um, it stands up really well even today because of the issues that it brings up about racism and um, predetermining guilt and things like that. Um, so And it's kind of been on one of my smaller bucket lists that I was going to say, it is a bit of a bucket list play. Actually, yeah. that same production that I caught uh, in Cambridge at the Gaslight Theatre, um, so many people I knew were in it. My dad was in it, Papa yep. Mooney, killed yep. a dad. Um, but... Uh, I think a lot of people in that show who I caught up with were like, oh, I always wanted to do it. And especially a lot of um, wahine who were in it were like, oh, I never thought I could be in the show because it's very much like 12 Angry Men. Yeah, although it has been staged in the past as 12 Angry Jurors and, mm. and various other names as well. So there, are, there is a precedent for, um, you know, mixing genders. But... Um, there is, I mean, it's not actually predetermined in the in the script. You're just yeah. called a juror. You're not really given a agenda. Mm. Um, but a, at the time of writing, you know, males were dominating juries, I guess, back then. Yeah. Um, the other production I saw recently, well, recently in the last four years or so, was one done in Morrinsville. And, oh, yep. um Although that's now my hometown, I wasn't involved in that one, but I did go to see rehearsals and I, and I went to see the finished um, work. And I was really amazed that in a town as small as that they were able to cast it 
um, with a few ring-ins from places like Taroha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, it was uh, a very powerful piece of theatre done at Morrinsville, and I was so proud of uh, Morrinsville Little Theatre for doing it. I thought it was a great, um, bold move to, to actually put a show like that on uh, in a small town yeah. and take quite a few guys out of their comfort zone to do it too. Yeah, it's they did not, a good job. It's not an easy play. No. <laughs> It's very, very wordy, and it takes uh, a lot of concentration out of the audience to keep up with it. Well, I mean, I'm glad that you're the one telling me that you're involved in two shows in quick succession and that I just get to hear about it and know I actually <laughs> have to do it because um, now to uh, Assassins. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, funnily enough, before we went into uh, lockdown in August... That night, it was a Tuesday night, and I had just had Nick Bray and Ray Powell from Bold Theatre Assassins right on the I show, sitting here, yeah. and then at 6pm there was an update, and it's like, cool, we're going into level four, Ho-ho. and I was just like, oh mm. no. Yeah, uh, we were a week out from opening, mm. and that was the last rehearsal we had was the night before, pretty much. Uh, so it's been, it will be almost exactly three months. Yeah. By the time we get back into rehearsal next week. And, um, you know, there's a lot to catch up on, a lot of stuff to remind ourselves about. But hopefully we won't find the going too tough. It will be uh, pressured. But um, along with that comes, you know, great sort of challenge. And it's uh, it's kind of exciting to be involved in something that you, you sort of let go, but you haven't. And you yeah. come back to it and you polish it up again. And you think, yeah, I remember what this was all about. And I... You know, remind yourself what the music and the and the the choreography, the movement around the stage, things like that, is all about. Um, so, I'm really optimistic about it. I think it's going to be a great show, but there's no two ways about it. We've got a lot of work to do in a really compact space of time. I mean, I feel like if anyone can do it, it's you lot and assassins. You know, because it's a do I? It's a bit of an all star cast. You think? Well, I think you've and just. Me. Yeah, and you. <laughs> so everyone except Mike um, will be absolutely stellar in Assassins. But no, um, you know, just harking back to when I had uh, Nick and Ray on the show and they were talking about how there's um, it's a really good mix of kind of young up-and-comers and then people yeah. we've seen before, like Mike. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and it's always good you know, as as I suppose a lot of people my age now, I guess, um, you refer to as being kind of veteran actors. We've mm. been around a while and I've now been living back in the Waikato since 2015. So I've become established yeah. in my home patch again, which is nice. Uh, but it's really cool for people my age, a veteran actor, to go into productions with young people who bring so much um, so much else to um, to their roles and to the production's whole vibe and the whole um, rhythm of the whole thing. Um, if you ever stop being excited by stuff like that, it's probably time to give it up. And I'm thankful that when I go into rehearsals with a group of people I've never dealt with before, or people, young people I know are, are up and coming and got a lot to offer, I'm always really thrilled by it because it pushes me to do better and to be better at what I do and to offer more and uh, it becomes a very um, generous and very sort of uh, growth oriented experience to go through. Is that getting too philosophical? No, I I totoku that so hard. Like I I couldn't have put it better myself and it's it's really nice to um, 
hear a veteran like yourself <laughs> saying something like that. No, but I mean, you know what it's like. I should say vintage more than veteran. vintage. <laughs> um, you know, when you start a, especially a community or recreational kind of theatre show and it's always kind of feels like it's a bit of a motley crew at the start. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is my first time working with these people. Whereas that dude in the corner, like he's been here for years and stuff. And so to hear you say how much you enjoy the experience is just wonderful. Well, I've, I've, never, I've never gone into a show thinking I have answers. I always mm. go in with a whole lot of questions, not just about the role that I might have, but also about where the whole show is going and what the, what the whole um, agenda is and what the director wants to achieve. And I, and I look at what these other people are bringing to the party and I just think, well, I'm so lucky to be able to spend time with people who have got so much to offer. And Mel and I have said it in our own podcast uh, backstage you know, many, many times. We've talked about... Um, the Waikato region and Kirikirua itself as being nowadays uh, regarded as a place where, you know, talent is emerging and good, strong talent that sticks around and wants to get involved in stuff and has a lot to offer and brings a new dimension to what we've been doing here for a long time. I think we're punching well above our weight. Oh, absolutely. And it's thanks to emerging talent um, and people who decide to stay in the Waikato and Kirikirua that that's the ticket can exist. Because yeah. every week I can find a guest. Because mm. there's there's always someone out there doing something cool and creative and who will be willing to have a yarn. And even they'll pull a mic, Mike coming in the studio today being like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> and here we are. We're a quarter of the way through, Mike. So you managed it. Oh, goodness. Is that the time already? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to Sounds break. like you're leading into a, a music break. I am. It's like it's planned. No. Um, <laughs> no, I'm actually leading into a very special music break that you will be familiar with, a popular segment on That's the Ticket. Uh, Rick. Yeah, Rick's Pick. Yep. Um, so for those of you who don't know, quickly, uh, Rick's Pick is basically a segment where every week I play a song uh, given to me by my Uncle Rick. My Uncle Rick is a great uncle and he really likes listening to music, listens to a lot of radio, um, has listened to every single episode of That's the Ticket. And uh, when he found out that I was starting the show, he's like, cool, I'm going to give you a list. Every week we can do Rick's pick. And every week I've had one. That last week was great, Peter Green. Yes, yeah. actually. I meant to tell you that, Uncle Rick, that um, I got uh, approval from Mike for last week so we'll see how we'll do this week but um it's a favorite of mine which is the most important part really because it's that's the ticket with hannah mooney not that's the ticket with mike williams um (laughs) but no this week's uh rick's pick is you know what i mean by phil collins okay yeah let it go let it go Oh, no. 
Immediate end there, but that was this week's Rick's pick, uh, classic Phil Collins track. Uh, you know what I mean. That was, uh, if I'm being specific, the 2011 remastered edition. Uh, you're listening to That's the Ticket with Hannah Mooney on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. Mike Williams, a friend of the show and kind of friend of me, <laughs> I guess. Now, you've got to explain that. I, I <laughs> just recently, in fact, 48 seconds ago, I fell out of friendship with Hannah because I said uh, something about Peter Green being the hallmark of what Fleetwood Mac was really about. Okay, so now Mike is bringing um, stuff that was off air, on air, <laughs> even more friendship tonight. No, uh, Mike and I, I'm trying to remember when we met. I think it was 2016, Adam's Family. Yeah, it would have been. And then you did Rocky Horror as well yeah. with Ham Up and I did backstage for that. But um, no, to clarify, we were talking about last week's Rick's Pick, which was a Peter Green song because uh, the last episode of That's the Ticket was a Fleetwood Mac special. Highly recommend checking out the podcast of that if you haven't yet. And uh, I used a Peter Green song uh, because he was the kind of OG Fleetwood Mac, the original and Mike reckons that's the best version of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And I disagree, and so it's it's been tough. But that just demonstrates our, our different outlook on life, you know? That's yeah. All it is. Nothing to, bu- to bust up a friendship over. Uh, yeah, but can... Uh, no, I think I can cope with Mike having the wrong Fleetwood Mac opinion and then just know that I'm superior. Oh, you're so misguided. <laughs> no, but um, me and Mike being sarcastic at each other aside... Uh, Mike has been talking, you've been talking about assassins. Yep. And I feel like... Do you need a recap on A it? recap would be good. Because, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been spouting all this chat about how one of my last kind of live shows of that's the ticket was with um, people from Bold Theatre who were producing yep. assassins. But I'm like, ah. Oh. And I heard that episode, you know, Ray Powell and, and Nick Bray were really excited because we were opening in a week's time and it mm. was a great stage of the rehearsals to be at. But, um, you know, if you've lost track of what Assassins is all about, it is darkly humorous and really quite um, an interesting study of people who either successfully or unsuccessfully tried to kill presidents of the United States. And when... Um, the idea of doing a musical about people who assassinate presidents was mooted. Several people raised their eyebrows and tutted and said, this is not a good thing. But Stephen Sondheim, the guy who wrote it all, said, well, I don't think anything's off limits, and so I'm going to go ahead anyway. Yabu sucks to you. And I'm pleased he did, because he came up with um, a really 
enthralling and musically difficult but and challenging but ultimately really satisfying um musical journey that you go on with all of these different characters who've got their own stories to tell about why they do what they do or why they did what they did and uh, they're from different time zones and different periods in history and they mix together and kind of like talking in purgatory where they talk about their stuff with each other and then they try to convince Lee Harvey Oswald to go ahead and have a shot at Kennedy and it's um it's a bizarre kind of surreal environment with surreal characters taken to the nth degree but it's a great exploration of humanity uh, is that a word even a word of, of the human condition it can be humanity can be a word today i'll make it a word <laughs> right off the application form now um it, it's about people at their worst and at their best mm. and it's a uh, this some very evocative stuff in the libretto um, there are songs that will make you go, oh my gosh, I, especially with regard to Kennedy, for example. Um, I am old enough, Hannah, I know you won't believe this, but I'm old enough to actually, one of my very first memories of a world-shattering event was the assassination of um, Kennedy. Same. Yeah, when you read about it in <laughs> books at school many years later. But I remember it happening. And I was I was only young at the time. I mean, I was just a boy, not even a teenager. Mm. But that was the first event I ever remember in my life of being a, a, a world event that I was aware of. And I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people who say, I remember exactly what I was doing when Kennedy was shot. But I do remember the impact it had and how shocked people were, especially in this country, that this event from so far away had this major seismic shift in the world's consciousness and then it went on from that to Bobby Kennedy to Martin Luther King and you know why are people shooting each other and why are they shooting people who want to make a change mm. and a difference um, so that yeah that's where Assassin sort of comes from from that exploration of those things of people's motivations of uh, people's reactions and it poses lots of questions and it's just from a performance point of view it's a really fun and challenging thing to do but i think for audiences to come and see it it will make you sit in your seat and go wow that was certainly something to think about you know if you don't leave the theater going whoo i need to <laughs> i really need to think about this for a bit then we may not have done our job quite right yes like you in your description you're saying like it's bizarre but like brilliant and i feel like that's an apt way i don't know that much about it i think i talked about this when i had uh ray and nick on the show yeah yonks ago is that i'm really excited to see it because it it's very really that i encounter a musical that i know nothing about same. And yep. Mm. And so Assassins, I think I've listened to the soundtrack once and I'm like, nah, don't read up on it. Try and go into it with no preconceived ideas. And, uh, uh, to be honest, Hannah, I think listening to the soundtrack, you don't really, really get a sense of how it hangs together and what mm. happens. And there's very little dialogue to link scenes. Yeah. It's mostly done with the music. And that's kind of operatic in its style. Mm. But it's contemporary and it is uh, Stephen Sondheim's writing at its best, in my opinion. You know, he's done stuff like uh, Sweeney Todd, which, uh, you know, I was involved in earlier this year. Um, totally different level altogether coming into Assassins. Same composer, same brilliance, but a completely different treatment of a completely different subject. And it's uh, it's just so amazing to get the chance to work on stuff like that. It is really, really, um, it's terrific. And, you know, who wouldn't want to be involved in something like that? 
Well, no, it's not every day that you get to say that you played one of kind of history's most yeah. notorious or infamous assassins. And my guy's totally crazy. Uh, you know, I'm playing Charles Gateau, um, who uh, he had a successful hit. Yeah, I was going to say, don't be too spoilery, Mike. <laughs> Keep the magic alive. But his rationale for doing what he was doing was totally off the wall. He was uh, a guy with so many issues going on in his life Mm. and so many failures that had driven him to a point where I'm hopeful that people will have a little, tiny little bit of sympathy for the character once I finish with it. But you should also be thinking, God, how did that guy ever get to, you know, even function in society with, with a mindset like that? I mean, I'm fully set and fully hoping slash expecting that when I go and see Assassins, because I have tickets to opening night, I had tickets to the original opening night and they got shifted, uh, to go in and see Not Mike. I hope you won't. often every time I see you perform, um, one that sticks out in my mind is in your in town. Is it was so far from you, and I mean, you always seem to look different <laughs> when you're in a show. Well, this, um, this is it's a purely a perception thing, Hannah, because when I look in the mirror, I just see me all the time, yeah. and, and I'm flattered that you see differences when I when I take on a role. But um, that's my job, and if I succeed at it and that much that you you fail to see me, then um, I take that as a great compliment. Thank you. Yeah, well, jury's still out. <laughs> I haven't seen Assassins yet. But no, I'm going to put you on the spot just because, you know, you're talking about Sondheim and how you've, you're in Assassins and you've been in Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Of the musicals, not your experience being in them, but just the musicals, do you have, which, one, which one do you think hits better? Which one do you like the most? Uh, despite the fact that uh, I was in Sweeney Todd and I came to really love it and I was playing a... a one of the I was going to say the the villain but the, that show's so full of villains um, but the character I had the judge was the reason why Sweeney Todd was the way he was mm. so I guess you could say he was the, the root villain um, classic Mike it was such a blast doing it and um, huge musical challenge for somebody like me who doesn't read music I have to learn things the hard way um, I still, when I sit down to listen to a soundtrack, I find Sweeney Todd really difficult to listen to all the way through. Mm. I can listen to individual songs quite happily, but when I, you know, sometimes you just want to listen to a show from start to finish to get a feel for it. You do that with something like, I don't know, West Side Story or one of the old classics. Assassins, I can do that because I'm now familiar with it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when I was involved in Sweeney Todd, I could not sit down and listen to the whole show from start to finish. It was wow. just too exhausting. Okay. So, um, that doesn't even answer your question. <laughs> I I love them both for different reasons. Yep. I'm enjoying Assassins possibly a bit more because uh, it's an ensemble thing. It's mm. not individual characters sort of having their moments in their in their aria. It, it we do get a bit of that, but a lot of it is all characters involved in in lots of scenes, and and I'm enjoying that. Okay. That that spoken like a true politician. <laughs> My um, next life. Your ne- your next role probably. <laughs> um, no, but my preference at the moment. Uh, I'm a sucker for Sweeney Todd. Yeah, it is a great show. Yeah, I couldn't catch um, your one because it got shifted. A couple um, times. No, that what you're thinking of the one I did before that, which what was, was that, um, one? that was the Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. First, wait. Which one was the one that sold out heaps? Then that was Blues Brothers. That, that was, was for Tower Musical Theatre. Yeah, we got we got moved. We ended up doing about sixty eight rehearsals for that okay. because it got moved about four times. 
Yeah. But Sweeney Todd fitted in the gap. Okay. And that was at 16th Avenue Theatre done by Overture Productions. And uh, we slotted that in uh, end of January, I think it was. Oh, I probably just didn't catch that one because I'm a bad friend then. And you weren't prepared to travel. True. Tauranga, I'm like, it's Mike worth it. Um, (laughs) I think we we saw the answer to that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, actually, you probably already mentioned it, but um, what theatre is is, um, 12 Angry Angry Men's also at 16th Avenue? It's a venue plus there's a 16th Avenue Theatre Society Mm. who mount their own productions, but it's also a venue that can be hired by others. And Sweeney Todd was mounted by um, a collection of people called... Uh, overture productions okay yeah really right. just a couple of guys <laughs> just a couple guys yeah um okay and now to the next kind of mic related question i have mm-hmm. uh you know you're in a couple things yeah. but that's not all you're working on right now is it no um preparing to run auditions this coming sunday the 21st for geezers for playbox theater Mm-hmm. at Riverley and um, that's my second directing role for this year oh I was going to say not not of all time surely no no uh, just this year I, I directed duets mm-hmm. for Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge and um, this will be on stage in um, end of March going into the early, early part of April and I'm looking for a cast of 10 and as you might guess from the name of the play, Geezers, it does involve some older characters. So I'm looking for some really good, uh, more mature people, shall we say, to take you know, about four roles that really require that. The people who could be aged anywhere from, you know, 60 plus through to around 80. I get the hint. You don't want me to audition for no, your there, play. There's, there's, some okay. younger, there's some younger roles. <laughs> um, and they are, three of them are younger versions of three of those other characters. So there's... Um, a little bit of time shifting and a little bit of uh, extra stuff going on there. I do love a, a time jump. It's a really neat play written by Tommy Lee Johnston, mm-hmm. um, who has actually been in touch. He found out that we were um, producing the play, and he said, oh, "I'm really so pleased that you're you know going to put my little play on." Oh, that's cool. That's it's, awesome. It's an American play, and we'll be doing it um, hopefully. Um, if we can cast it this weekend, I'll be able to say, yes, it's all go. Um, we might need to do a second casting. I don't know. We'll just see who can, who shows up on Sunday. We've got some bookings, but I don't know that we have enough to, to get the whole cast together, but we'll, we'll see who comes. So for those out there who are like, oh, I want to audition for that. Oh, do you go to the um, Playbox Facebook page uh, and uh, just follow the instructions there that tells you what to do. And a brief, succinct summary of the play? It's set in a, uh, an elderly care facility. So the core characters are residents of this place. And they have been there for quite some time. A young guy comes in who's socially inept. He's, he's uh, had the job of looking after his disabled mother uh, through the latter part of her life. And this is his first real job. He's in his mid-20s doesn't know how to read people, kind of introverted, and this is a job that he's volunteered to come and kind of like be a nurse's aide or, or a, um, a caregiver for these people. And when he arrives on the scene, they test him out, as you, like you would with a young apprentice coming into a workplace, you, you take the piss. And they start you know, giving him a hard time initially, and then they find out that he's actually a would-be writer. 
and although his writing that he's done so far is not terribly good, they decide that if they tell him their stories, he may be able to actually put it together into some kind of readable fashion. And so they begin opening up to him about their histories and so on, and that's where the flashbacks come from for um, three of the characters who've got their own particularly um, complex stories to tell. They come to life, and uh, he learns a lot about himself as well as the young guy does learns a lot about himself and his relationship to people uh, as he learns more about these older characters there's also a, a like a, a charge nurse who looks after everything and there's another character a lovely old character who's um in her own little world but she has her own little backstory to tell as well so it's um like i said it's a, it's a play with lots of different ages in it mm. and each of the characters has a really important role to play in the story so that's what drew me to it. I thought it was an unusual story. It was handled in a very sensitive but also really um, unique way. And it uh, offers really good roles for a variety of people. So I'm hoping, like heck, we can get this thing going. I now that we're going, you know, we're level two after midnight. So yeah, yeah it should happen. Hopefully. It, I think it's, it's great um, that a play showcasing kind of vintage actors, shall we call them, yeah. exists and that you're putting it on because I feel like especially in recreational theatre it's very kind of the young ones yeah and uh, nothing wrong with that no but n- not at all and like I said um, you know we while ago when we when we started talking you know, mm. about what it's like for an older actor to go and work with younger people um, we learn a lot from the younger people who come in and, and say hey we're doing do things this way now or whatever it works the other way as well younger people should be looking at some of the older performers around them and, and not discounting them but actually saying oh my gosh you really know what you're about um i'm hopeful that we'll get a cast that has a lot of that about it where they can each learn off each other they each bring different things to the dynamic of the whole story and um that you know if i'm lucky enough to get to direct the whole thing all the way through and, and with a good cast like that i'll, I'll be able to achieve the things that I can see with the story and the things that I would like to come out. Well, exciting times ahead. And I think it's it's also great that these roles for kind of older actors exist that aren't just like someone's dad yeah. or, some, you know, that they've, they're a bit more meaty. Yeah. And so is this a bucket list play of yours? No. Because uh, stum- you hinted at the idea of kind of bucket list shows earlier in this episode. Yeah, I've ticked a lot of them off over the years, but there's still a few. Um, and there are there are shows that I've done in the past that I'd like a different role in, in the future, now that, now that I'm older. Okay. Um, but no, this one I kind of stumbled across it because I was looking for, I wanted to do something with Playbox because I remember Playbox being so good for so many years uh, when I was going through my teens living in Patararu, um mm. I'd come and see plays here and I thought yeah, those guys are really good and I thought I really would like to direct something with Playbox since um, I hadn't had a chance to act with them yet I've, except for one thing I did um, Bullshock Crummond mm, that's right. some years ago yeah that was quite a while um, ago but I thought I'd like to offer my services as a director and I, and I read lots of plays on an ongoing basis anyway and I picked this one out of the list uh, from um, several I'd been looking at for months and gave it another read and I thought, actually, that, if any I'm looking at, stands out, that is the one. Because, for the very reason you said, it offers uh, roles for people who um, often get overlooked as mm. major characters in stories. And so the, the these, th- these three older characters that are the centre of it all are the ones that 
really drive the whole thing and I'm delighted to have the chance now to make that happen you know yeah and it's it's well not quite down to the wire but obviously your your auditions were are scheduled for this weekend yep. and we're only going into level two at midnight tonight yeah but you know <laughs> I had faith Hannah and <laughs> if we can cast it nice and early I will be tied up until the 18th of December with assassins but I'm mm. hopeful that we might get a table read in before Christmas so that we can at least familiarise ourselves with who we are and what we're about, get those people scripts in front of them that while they're having their Christmas turkey, they can just reach over and turn another page and just have another look at what they've got to do. And then we'll we'll launch into it as soon as I finish with 12 Angry Men in January. We'll launch straight into rehearsals for Geezers. Your directors must love you. Why? Because <laughs> you keep booking stuff back to back, Mike, uh, with slight overlap. Only a slight overlap, you know. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm going to take a break from Mike's schedule because it gives me heart palpitations. <laughs> well, then I've got my day job as well. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, we might get into that after the song, actually. But um, I've got a song that was uh, recommended to me during lockdown by a friend of the show and family member of mine. Missy Mooney, uh, she's got a great kind of ability to find chill songs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I need more chill in my life. I need more chill on that the ticket, especially if Mike's here. So <laughs> I've got a uh, track by Lucy Darkus called, and it's a cover of the, uh, I think, is it Billy Idol, Dancing in the Dark? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here we go. I get up in the evening. And I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to bed feeling the same way I ain't nothing but tired Yeah, I'm just tired and more myself Hey the baby I could use just a little help You can't start a fire You can't start a fire without a spark This gun's for hire we're just dancing in the dark
Love a cheeky cover. That's nice. Yeah, you vibe it, Mike? Yeah. yeah. Okay, there you go, Missy. You got the Mike Williams seal of approval. Not that hard to get, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a pushover. Yeah. I'm open to all sorts of music. Which is good. Um, You know, otherwise this this interview would have been interesting. It would have gone nowhere fast, wouldn't it? (laughs) I mean, I, I did think about you slightly. (laughs) <laughs> Not really. When? <laughs> when? When I was like picking the songs, I was oh, like, okay. oh, it's Mike. So I thought I'm... you were going to say four weeks ago on a Tuesday or something. Oh, probably, but yeah. no. Because um, like Taylor Swift has just um, launched her version, Taylor's version of her Red album. And Mike's looking at me being like, what? And yeah. and I'm like, this probably isn't uh, the yeah. album for my mic show, is it? No, I'm not the target demographic for that, but yeah, Taylor Swift's all right. Yeah, I highly recommend um, having a listen. It's quite it's quite chill. I tend not to really uh, align myself to any particular genre or any particular artist overly. Other way, there are certain artists that I just think, yeah, most of what they've done has been really cool. David mm. Bowie, case in point. Uh, Bowie for me was always frustrating because whenever he put something new out I think I'm not sure he's got this right and then six months later I'm being that is the best song ever yeah so I tend to move between heavy rock and classic rock and uh, classical music and uh, show tunes and pop and R&B and you name it I'll I'll drift around but I wouldn't say I couldn't tell you terribly much about what Taylor Swift's done, but I'm sure that, you know, there'd be a couple of songs out of her repertoire that I'm familiar with that I would say, yeah, actually, I like that song. I mean, I, I would expect you would be, and it's it's good to hear you talking about how you've got such a wide kind of um, variety of music that you're into, because by day, you are... Yeah, here. <laughs> here, yeah. Yeah, program director at Free FM. And uh, I don't have direct involvement. Like Phil Gray, the uh, manager here, is really our music director. So he personally sort of curates the stuff that we play as a station. Mm. Uh, But people who make their own shows, like yourself, you get free choice. You can do whatever you want and play whatever music you want. But as far as the sound of the station goes, uh, that's pretty much Phil's bag. But I have been in radio several years. (laughs) Several. (laughs) Several decades. Uh, and have had music director roles and program director roles in the past where I've had to you know, look after playlists and stuff. Mm. So, yeah, I suppose that is part of the nature of the business. You get exposed to a lot, so you end up sort of picking and choosing stuff you like. I Not mean, necessarily the stuff. You, you don't necessarily broadcast the stuff you like. No. But you get to experience a wide range of things and therefore your tastes tend to become a lot more eclectic. And that's why you're a good guest and um, I'm going to say a good podcast host because you have your own podcast, yeah, Backstage uh, backstage with Mel and Mike, which is the other definitely not competing art show on no, Free FM. we're very complimentary. <laughs> no, I feel like what all we do is talk about each other on our podcasts. <laughs> no, we never talk about you, Hannah, <laughs> unless you're in the room. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Mike, every week uh, there's a new episode of Backstage with Mel and Mike, and yep. I listen to it um, exclusively. Big well, big fan of the show. You you probably are our greatest fan, actually, Anna, to be fair. Yeah, there's there's an unofficial kind of battle between me and Jono Freebarn, who you have had as a guest on the show more than I. Who's counting, though? Me. Apart from you. <laughs> me and Jono are the two people who are counting. Yeah. Uh, but... In terms of your podcast, I'm going to ask you for, for some advice. 
Um, go ahead. As a successful podcaster like myself, but I still have a way to go. I've, you know, you've been broadcasting for a few years. I've been several years. You said I've been going for about a year and a half, if that. Um, what advice would you give to uh, any kind of up and coming or people who want to start podcasting? Well, the whole thing about podcasts is that they became a, tra- a game changer in the field of broadcasting. I'm old enough to have had my start back when live radio was all there is. Like if you didn't have somebody in the studio actually playing records Mm. um, and changing them on the turntables, you had nothing going out on air. So um, that was my training ground. And over the years, radio kind of changed, especially with deregulation in the late 80s going into the 90s. And it kind of became a bit of a waste ground really as radio became more fractionated and I remember um, somewhere in the late 90s I was on my uh, on my way to a meeting in Wellington early one morning and I had time to kill so I stopped for a coffee in Cuba Mall and I saw people walking past wearing headphones and I thought they're not listening to the radio I bet they're not listening to radio mm. because why would you there's so much you know, uh, like radio stations were genre specific. Like if you're a rock station, that's all you played. Country station played nothing but country, and it's still very much like that in the commercial radio world. But I thought people are selecting what they're playing. What is where is that coming from? And that was the early days of emergence of the idea of audio on demand and downloading playlists of things from somewhere. Uh, and it wasn't really too much of a thing because I'm talking about the really late. 90s here that I was starting to see that and then that really sort of became something that evolved in the early parts of the 2000s and I thought I really wanted to be part of that. Uh, In the interim by 2007 I I had become manager of the equivalent of what Free FM is in Nelson. We have a station Mm. there called Fresh FM. Funnily enough, very similar. Yeah. Um, Quite a different vibe to it because it's a a different kind of market but uh, it's a community access radio station, people making their own content and things and Nelson, Hamilton and Wellington became uh, interested in the same things at the same time and we thought we got together and um, Phil Gray actually spearheaded it, uh, getting involved in the idea of streaming content on the interweb as well as making it available on demand through podcasting. He had much more knowledge than I did about it. But we thought that these three stations together could be kind of like a proving ground that it could work. And for the kind of content that stations like us do... Uh, community access radio is all about people making content for their own markets, right? So you know your audience, you want to make a show that feeds that audience. It was really tailor-made for that whole idea that if you did a radio show, why wouldn't you want to make it available for people to listen to when they wanted to so that the people wearing the headphones walking down the street would be able to say, I'm listening to Hannah Mooney's That's the Ticket because that's what I choose to listen to, you know? Um, Fast track to now, and that's really become just the way things are and yeah. we were at the spearhead of all of that way back when so uh, we have grown and gained experience in that area and learned a lot and we know quite a bit now about how to market your uh, podcasts but also not ignoring the fact that we're still radio stations that's still important to us too like we are broadcasting right now mm-hmm. and it is a radio show that is also a podcast and if I was talking to somebody now and I do on a weekly basis I talk to people about making podcasts Go ahead with the idea that you're making your podcast because that gets your mindset into the frame of saying, I really want to super serve an audience of, of like-minded people. 
and then you've got you've got to then put it in front of those people so you've got to know how you want to market it through social media and that sort of thing but if you are true to that ethic of saying i'm talking to theater nerds and i want to talk about um you know the arts about performing about music about dance about all those things I want to make sure I do it really well and focus just on what I've got to do. Don't get sidetracked by all the other stuff. Don't try to be what your idea of what radio is all about because that ain't going to work. And don't try to be all things to all people. Just do what you do best and make sure then that you're able to place it in places where people will find it. There that, you go. That was really good. I'm feeling Hallerink um, inspired. <laughs> I've just had like a flashback to when I first met with you like... To talk that, about this. Yeah, to talk about this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's great advice, though. Thank you. Well, I've always said, you know, it's important to know who you're doing it for. And it can't just be a vanity thing. You're not doing this because you think you want to sound great on the radio. I mean, you do, but um, <laughs> that's not your purpose of doing it. Your no. purpose of doing it is so that you can share your passion for the things that you love doing with someone else. Yep. And whether that's family, friends, or complete strangers on the other side of the world, it doesn't really matter. If you're doing it well and you do it with conviction and with passion and share that joy that you've got from doing it, that'll come through what you do. And radio for me, I, I was told way back when I was a small boy, just starting in the business, uh, <laughs> a very wise elderly broadcaster said to me, you know, radio is one-to-one -one communication. It's all about talking to one other person it doesn't matter if there's a thousand listening you mm. are talking to one other person and it's all about communication don't ever lose sight of that that it's not entertainment it's about really communicating something with someone else and podcasting is literally that yeah that's what it is well said well i feel like that's a great greater note than any note to end the show on you're gonna wrap it up i think i might um, um but no, thanks for uh, joining me today, Mike. I do actually have a uh, rather special way that I would like to end the show. So I'm going to thank you first. <laughs> what is it? Does it involve interpretive dance? No, no. I've actually got a tribute. I'm, I'm tributing today's show to someone. Um, oh, nice. Yes. So the wonderful Joy Wright. Yeah. I don't know if you ever got um, the pleasure of working with her. Yeah. But um, she recently uh, passed away on the 13th of November. Yeah. And so I wanted to dedicate today's episode to Joy. That's lovely. And um, play a song from the last show that I worked with Joy on, which was uh, Legally Blonde in 2017. Uh, I produced that second show I ever produced for Hamilton Musical Theatre, previously known as Music Makers. And Joy was our um, wardrobe manager, costume coordinator, and she did a stellar job. And so I thought a fitting way to dedicate today's episode to Joy would be to play the instrumental version of the show's finale, Find My Way. So. It's a lovely gesture, and you know, uh, I share the sentiment that Joy was um, true to her name. She was a joy to be around, and I only, only got to be involved in a couple of things with her over the last few years or so. Mm. But through her and Sam, um, it, it was always just a, a neat thing to to do. She was so uh, creative and so generous with her time. Um, she will be missed by so many organisations. So many, but. Yeah. Uh I've been Hannah Mooney, he's been Mike Williams, this has been That's the Ticket, and this one's for you, Joy.
For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.